0: All praise you to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on the God Prophet Muhammad and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day. And the basic topic of today's khutbah uh, concerns the marriage practices here in Saudi Arabia as we said before that the purpose of the khutbah is to inform the people in the area in which the khutbah is being given you know of some aspects of the religion which they may be neglecting as such the imam you know has looked into one of the areas in which there is some deviation uh, in the society with regards the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad and he has given suggestions based on the, the Sunnah to try to clarify this for the people, you know. The week before he had looked at problems in terms of people getting married. Now this week he is now discussing the actual process of marriage, when marriage does take place here. And uh, what he pointed out, you know, what he laid a lot of stress on, was the wastage, you know, whether it be of money or of food which generally takes place in marriages held here. And of course he quoted, you know, from the Quran where Allah says, Inal Mu Bazirina, so that verily those who are wasteful are of the brethren of the devil. You know, it's something which is forbidden in Islam. And this is essentially because from an Islamic perspective whatever we have by way of wealth or food it is not a result of our own efforts. It is blessing from Allah. Wealth, property, etc. is not looked at from an Islamic perspective as being the individual's right to do with as he pleases. It is something which Allah has given as a test for the individual to see how he handles it. Because the wealth which is available in society is given unevenly. Some people are given more than others. And this difference is what produces a situation of test. Because if we all receive the same, if Allah gave us all the same, then there would be no challenge for the individual. Should I share some of my wealth with others or should I not? Or should I try to take some of the wealth of others or should I not? Right? Those challenges, you know, which are uh, evil, both of these, I mean, one is good in the sense of sharing, but the desire not to share is an evil desire. The desire to take the wealth of others is evil, but it's, but not taking the wealth of others is good. I mean this this situation can only take place where there is an uneven distribution of wealth. And, of course, on the basis of that, the basic concepts involved in, you know, communist theory, you know, where, wherein they want to make the society all on one level, making everybody equal, is totally rejected from Islamic point of view. You know, democracy in, in Islamic perspective doesn't mean, you know, having everybody having the same, you know, as everybody else. And such a situation is not only impractical, but it is also impossible. Because in these societies, when they try to make this kind of equal distribution, they have failed, because it removes incentive from people. Man is such that it is his nature to want to gain more, and he strives to gain more for himself. and if his strivings to gain more are not rewarded, then that destroys the desire on his part to strive. I mean, he will just do what is the minimum. And in such those countries where they try to introduce you know, this type of a system, their whole you know, productive level and, then, and all that, even though they had more resources, more people, etc., remain lower. Than you know other societies, Western-oriented societies, where the capitalist system you know encourages in it, uh, individual, success, uh, provides individual incentives. I'm not saying that you know Islam supports the capitalist system either. Uh, from the point of view that the capitalist system tends to go overboard now in the rights of the individual, but there's certain aspects. The idea of the individual having the right to own the product of his work, this is his right. Islam recognizes the right, but. Where the individuals right now goes to the point where it's, it, it uh, it's at the expense of the rest of the society, Islam rejects that and says the, the, the needs of the society as a whole have also to be given you know primary consideration. So Islam really the system finds a balance between the two. But the essential concept, and you know, I just like to stress this the essential concept in Islam is that wealth is not the primary. Uh, property of the individual. It is a test it is given by Allah to the individual as a trust for which he will be asked about on the day of judgment. How did he use that trust? Everything that we as an individual have, whether it's strength, physical strength, you know, or um, health, all these different things are blessings which Allah has given us in trust. This is why we talked about the idea of, for example, smoking being haram because it destroys the body. And, you know, we are not allowed to destroy ourselves physically. We have a duty to protect ourselves. We will be asked about our bodies on the day of judgment. If we are destroying ourselves, if we're killed. That's why Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi said, whoever kills himself will find himself in the hellfire, killing himself over and over again. However, he killed himself in this life. If he was with a cigarette, slowly killing himself. He finds himself in the hellfire, killing himself with a cigarette over and over again perpetually. So, from an Islamic perspective, the body, the wealth the individual has, the strength he has, you know, whatever he has around him is a trust which is given to him by Allah, which he will have to answer for. And that is given to him, it says, unevenly. Some people are given more than others, so that he is actually tested with it. Because without that uneven distribution, there will be no test. So, once it is looked at as a trust, I mean, once it is the basic principle, then to squander it is forbidden. You will be asked about it on the day of judgment, whether you squander your wealth, however you squander your wealth. If you squander it for example, I mean from the point of view again of smoking, because a person when he smokes a, a, you know, a, a cigarette, he smokes a pack of cigarettes a day, you add that up in a year, what the cost is, and you roll that up whether it's 2,000 or 3,000 real. if you saw somebody rolling up 3,000 real and was setting it on fire, you would think this person is an idiot and, and grab that money from him. and so this person has no life handling this money. But in effect, this is what the person who smokes is doing. He's taking 2,000 or 3,000 reals and burning it up, inhaling it into his lungs. Because it's of no benefit to him. It is just squandering. This is squandering of the wealth. So this is why even from a point of view of squandering cigarettes, smoking cigarettes is haram. Similarly, in all the other aspects in the human life, you know, squandering is haram. This is why even in our eating habits, for example, I mean, we should try as much as possible that the things we put into our bodies are things which are beneficial to us. You know, although, you know, Western society, you know, has built up a system wherein artificial products are given precedence over natural products, right? And and, and it's promoted with such vigor that the average child, you know, if you're giving him the choice between a lollipop and an apple, he'll take a lollipop. I mean, even though the, the apple is much better for him, I mean, it's natural, it's good tasting and everything, but he will choose that lollipop over the apple. Because from the time that he's very young, that whole system of getting him used to the, the sweetie, these artificial flavors and so on, so, are introduced from a very early stage, so he becomes addicted to these various artificial products, you know, which are in the society, which in fact, you know, destroys teeth and, you know, all the other things that come with it. And we as adults, we have to look into our own habits, to look to see what we're, what we're eating. I mean, all the things we're eating really beneficial to us or is it just junk. I mean, really, if you have a choice between apple juice and Coca-Cola, I mean, although normally you say that, it's your own individual thing. You know, if you want to drink Coca Cola, you want to drink. You, you analyze what is in Coca Cola? To so what, what is the degree of benefit involved in it? Okay? And then you judge for yourself. Is it really, I mean, I mean, to the, to the degree that it is consumed, it's not to say, you know, a person may not take any Coca Cola, but, you know, I'm just saying, I'm just giving this as a suggestion in terms of really looking, because when we're talking about principles, it's not enough for us to just talk about them on a theoretical plane, you know, in general wastage is also, we have to also put it down into practice in our daily life. We have to look within our own daily life to see how can these principles be applied. And as such, you know, it does become essential for us to look and analyze in terms of our daily habits where there is wastage. Where the wastage goes to the point where it is criminal, we have to try to call this away and find that middle path wherein we are truly appreciating the blessings which Allah has given us, you know, uh, in in the creation, and we are utilizing these things to benefit ourselves. So, as you said, the principle of wastage in Islam is forbidden, and the marriage customs here, when one looks at the marriage customs in terms of um, the the whole process of the marriage, we're in are expensive, they have these special uh, uh, wedding palaces, you know, where they rent, huge amounts of money is spent in renting, and then huge amounts of money is prepared in food, you know, and when the thing is over, right, for the most part, most of that food is just dumped right in the garbage, and a huge amount of food is just dumped right in the garbage, I and mean, this is haram, without a doubt. Because whenever you see the whole of the earth is really one interrelated system. You may not realise it, but when you throw good food in the garbage and there is somebody starving to death in Somalia or Bangladesh or you know, some place around the world, you are indirectly responsible for that person's starvation. Because that shortage and that wastage, they're interrelated. I mean, you may not see the direct connection because you're not taking the food off his plate. You know, eating what you feel of it and throwing it in the garbage, so it doesn't seem to you to be, you know, a direct relationship, right? But in fact, what is wasted in Like, for example, in America, uh, to keep the price of of chicken, you know, at a at a level where the uh, uh, the farmers and those involved into the the, the distributors and so on, are making the kind of profits that they want to realize, which they feel has to increase every year at a particular percentage, and if it's not increasing, they're losing. Right? For them to keep that system going, it means that every year, you know, millions of chickens, baby chickens, are killed. They'll just kill them so that the quantity of chickens on the market will not be so great that it will force the prices down. This is why you found in times, for example, even in the times of the Depression, when people, you know, were out on the streets, food was scarce in America in the 20s. At the same time, they were dumping potatoes in the Atlantic Ocean to keep the cost of potatoes high. The natural resources of the countries, of the third world countries that are taken into America reproduced, you, know, re- you know, redesigned and, and and sold back to these people, you know. This, these uh, this, uh, this, uh, this, this is a cycle. This is a cycle which is taking place, you know, constantly. Raw resources are taken, manufactured products are produced, and they're sold back to the people. To Islam, of course. So when these raw resources are destroyed, quantities of it are destroyed, destroyed in order to keep the price of the manufacturing products high, then it is really the world of these people that is being destroyed. So, the idea of wastage of food in this fashion, it is criminal, it's not, it is not a is criminal. So, the, the Imam was pointing out that in the weddings which take place here, that wastage of the food, of toilet the food so is haram, if food is made for a gathering, and there is not enough food, I mean there is too much food at the end, then, that food should either be taken to poorer sections of the city, or the town, and given to the poorer people, or those people that are there should take some of the food home with them and eat it. You see, but of course, I mean this society, and often the society tends to look at that, you know, look down at that, towards for the guests, for the for the uh, the so when you're leaving to offer you, can you take some of the food with you? who's going to take the food Because to take the food implies that you need the food and, you know, because people are looking at it in this negative pressure. But if people are looking at it from an Islamic perspective in the sense that, you know, we should not wait, then not only should the guests, you know, try to help the host, but the host should feel it is Islamic responsibility to see that that food is used. Whether he freezes it and eats it. You know, the idea again in the society of eating leftovers, you know, it's considered look down on, but no, actually, from a child perspective, I mean, it is a requirement. If this, you know, this is a requirement, then we should be, we should not feel any kind of negative attitude towards eating that So, even going beyond the situation of marriage, I mean, you'll know, those of you, who have been invited to eat, you know, at uh, various uh, Saudi brothers' places, you'll find in general, I mean, if you're invited, maybe only three or four people are invited, but the brother feels that he must prepare A meal for twenty. So you come and you sit down, and there's so much food, way more. I mean, he feels he has to do this. Custom has now put it on him that he must prepare It's not enough for him to pray; enough a place for you to eat, a place for all the people that are involved. This is considered, you know, like uh, I, you know, you don't have the person doesn't have the freedom to pick and choose, you know, anything he likes. No, but Islamically speaking, unless he is no harm in preparing more as, as long as that added food is utilized. But in most cases that added food is thrown in the garbage afterwards. So the Imam talked about this, you know, because of the fact that it is so widespread in the society, you know, a major source of wastage. <laughs> he also talked about, you know, certain other things which take place, commonly take place in the wedding, which involve... Uh, one uh, photography, where they were bringing, you know, photographers who will take pictures, you know, of the people involved in the wedding, and of course these pictures are developed. And as he, what he pointed out, he said, you know, like the people develop the pictures, then look through the pictures and look to see, you know, those who are pretty, they'll praise those that are pretty, and those that are ugly, they'll curse them. You know, and he, and he said, and he said, you know, I mean, who of you, you know, would like for some? Person who is not related to you to be looking at a picture of your wife who you're you have just married or you know your mother or your sister and say oh look at this ugly so and so look at this oh this is a really pretty one you know look at, you know in this fashion towards your family right I mean that's the way you should look at the, you know you should look at this thing of people taking photographs and developing them like books right so he was saying that that um, the individual should have some you know consciousness as, as what are the results of this practice that he's doing. You know, and of course, he pointed out you know, the various hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, for example, "Inna al Those who are who receive the greatest, you know, punishment on the day of judgment, you know, are the the uh, people who made pictures, right? And he mentioned a number of other, you know, hadith in this uh, 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 respect. But of course, you know, he did point out that. In the case of photography, there is some uh, difference of opinion. Although a number of scholars may hold that photography is included in the general uh, category of picture making, uh, some scholars also hold that it is not. That picture picture making, you know, involves uh, the creation of uh, statues and paintings. People who like paint portraits, and so and so would be included in this, because the fact that the process by which the picture is captured is a natural process which doesn't involve the, the hand of the individual directly in the sense of him, him trying to reproduce what Allah has created from his own activity. That the process in photography is similar to the process involved in, you know, a mirror image, a mirror catching an image, etc., etc. So there are some differences of opinion in this area. But the point still remains, you know, that the, the taking of pictures wherein one exposes uh, family members. In, usually in a state of undress, which is not allowed for a person who is not related to the family to look at. I mean, this is a normal practice because people in the wedding parties, you know, in the women, etc., they are not going to be, you know, covering themselves as they should cover themselves in the presence of um, what we call people who are who can marry them. Right? They call nabi. They, they call them who are not, you know, they call them Ajnabi, or who are not from the Makhara. Those people who could marry them. So, one should be very careful in this, in this area. The other thing that he pointed out was another practice, which was that of including uh, musicians. You know, common practice here also, they will bring musicians, male or female musicians, some of these female musicians are brought, and they play uh, music, and the women get up and dance and stuff like that. Now, it is true that from an Islamic perspective, the Prophet, you know, in the case of weddings, you know, had uh, given the okay for young girls to beat the duff, which is a kind of a drum and sing, that this is allowable, but that this allowance, you know, what is being done today goes far beyond that. It goes into another area where they are including all the other wind and stringed instruments, which the Prophet you know, had, had uh, informed us was haram in the hadith in Sahih Bukhari, in which, you know, he had said that one of the signs of the Day of Judgment, so that people would make halal wind and string instruments. So uh, this type of music, the music produced by the wind and string instruments, this is commonly what is used in these uh, parties. And how do we make halal? Yeah, wind and string instruments. So this um, this is a commonly used uh, instrument in these parties, wedding parties, etc. And also the thing is that uh, you have now a group of people who become professionals who travel around the country, you know, producing this music to these parties, whereas in Islamic context, you know, professional musicians really don't have a place. I mean, spontaneously, everybody has certain musical abilities. Spontaneously, if we get together and we clap hands and we sing a song or something like this, there's no harm in that. But when it starts to become something which is a profession, what you tend to find is that the, the profession of music is a source of corruption in society. This is why when you look in the West, for example, you see, also here, especially in the West, where you know, it has reached sort of the peaks, you find that the people who are in the music field, these are people, many times, who live and have wealth that is unimaginable to most of us. Right? I mean, they have millions, money we will never see in our lifetime, right? yet these people, when you look into their personal lifestyle, you find it's filled with corruption. They're taking drugs, they're involved in all kinds of practices, and many times they commit suicide, they kill themselves. I mean, you wonder, why is that? Why is that so? Because this particular uh, field, once it becomes a profession, it promotes corruption. Same thing in the, with the art field. In the field of art, when you look into the lives of the famous painters, you know, Van Gogh and, and Picasso, and the people, you look into their lives, they were. They were corrupt, I mean to degrees unimaginable, because these professions are cursed by Allah, they're cursed by Allah, and as such the people who are involved in them are cursed and it becomes evident in their lifestyle, their actions. Anyway, as the Imam was pointing out, now the practice of introducing these musicians in the various uh, parties, uh, wedding parties, etc., this is forbidden. Uh, the young girls beating the drum, you know, among the women, etc., for and, and singing, this is allowed as long as it stays within the bounds which have been set by Islam. The other aspect of the wedding parties which she pointed out as haram was the extending of the wedding. Uh, circumstance or wedding occasion all the way until the night until fajr. People leave, usually commonly when the women get together, they usually leave, they people come to pick them up at fajr. Yeah, that fajr comes, they pick them up, they go home and sleep. So it's traditional. You know, wedding when there's wedding night, there's no fajr. So then of course fajr practice becomes haram. Because if any kind of occasion causes you, occasion of celebration, whatever, causes you to Describe one of your Islamic obligations then that particular occasion becomes hard So you want of this practice. I mean it is way from the Sunnah. Prophet Muhammad used to have the Walima, what they call the Walima or the wedding party, right, in the daytime. This is when he started in the morning. You have a long stretch between after Fajr all the way from Duhur, it's a nice time. People get together, they eat something, food, they talk, something. This is more common. When you read the hadith of his marriage and so so, it so, goes so in the daytime. But if you have it in the evening after Isha, I mean, it's not to say it's haram, but you know, it's not the proper time. See, traditionally in the Pansah time, time, after Isha people went to bed. You know, you didn't go visiting anybody after Isha. Of course, in that society, because of the fact that, you know, you didn't have electricity which could recreate the day and the night, then it made sense that, you know, when everything got dark, it's time to go to bed. You, know, you function with his life and you go to sleep when it's dark. <laughs> now we have these artificial means of maintaining, you know, the daytime long into the night. Right? So this is what, you know, makes it seem not unnatural for people to have parties at night. Well, as I said, you know, having it in the daytime actually, you know, it tends to keep down the, the excesses. Because as the Prophet Muhammad also said that, you know, when the night falls, you know, when Maghrib comes, this is when the shayateen come out, you know, this is when the devils are out, you know, and working overtime, where I said, you know, keep your kids up, take take your kids in, and when sunset falls, you know, don't have them out, in the streets roaming around, running around, bring them in, right, and this is also, you know, in the Qur'an where Allah says, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know we ask Allah's uh, protection from the night when it falls. Why? Because this is the time, you know, of evil. The forces, the evil forces operate best under the cover of darkness. So, it's a general warning. So, in terms of the Walima, you know, we try to make, keep our wedding practices as close to the sunnah method, you know, as possible. Um, I think those are the main points that he mentioned. You know, concerning you know, wedding practices here, you know, as general advice to the people to reassess, you know, how they are having these marriages. And he pointed out, in terms of the mahar, you know, the uh, dowry, that of course, you know, the dowry should be consistent with the status of the people that are involved. You know, what what the, what the economic situation of the person is. The dowry should match that situation. It shouldn't be something which creates a burden on the individual, which you have to carry within as debt. you have to borrow money to have this marriage. You know. Because as he pointed out, it can be as, as little as a as a room or a debt which he can owe to the wife in terms of teaching her fine or whatever. It can be as little as that. It doesn't have to even be, you know, in monetary value. So we said before <coughs> that the dowry is something symbolic. It is not necessarily, you know, a a a, a large amount of wealth, you know, wherein one um, uses it as a means of elevating himself over others you know, where women talk amongst themselves, they say, you know, what's your dowry? She says, I got X, you know, 100,000. And that was, oh, wow, you know, so she feels that she must have at least 100,000, you know, what becomes a competition? Or the father, he says, you know, the dowry of my daughter was so-and-so. And this gives him, he has to take pride over, the, over this. No, no, this is not the way it should be at all. I mean, the, the giving of the dowry is symbolic of the individual's preparedness, but to look after the, the woman, and it should be within. Their economic uh, abilities. Similarly, with the wedding parties, they shouldn't be beyond the economic abilities of the people. Now, people should not go into debt you know, to have you know wedding parties. Now, are there any questions concerning you know the practices here, as you mentioned? Actually, what I think is that you know what each of us has to do, you know, is to look into the various cultures that we come from to look to see what practices exist in our cultures in terms of weddings, you know, and and determine whether these practices are acceptable or not. See, there's a certain line that is set by Islam, you know, wherein the customs of the people are allowable to some degree. But where these customs either involve something which is haram Islamically true, say for example wasting, wastage which takes place here and musicians etc. etc. This becomes forbidden. Or if the customs have in them practices which are part of the religious practices of other uh, religions which exist in the area. You know, for example, you know, you may live in um, in India and around you are Hindus. And the Hindus have a way in which they get married, right? Now, in the way in which they get married, they have this part of a religious ceremony. There are religious aspects to it. Now, it is not allowed for Muslims. You know, in India, to have in their marriage practices customs which are from the Hindu religious customs. If there are some customs which have no religious significance to them, right, and that's the custom of the people, then there's no harm in, in that being involved in, a, in an Islamic marriage. But as long as it has a religious significance to it, then it becomes forbidden. For example, for us in the West, you know, the wearing of the ring on this finger here. You know, when a person gets married, you know, uh, they wear, typically they wear a ring on this finger, they call it a ring finger, right? Which indicates that the person is married. Now, this practice, on the left hand, look at it, this practice, Islamically speaking, is not allowed. Because, not because it indicates that you're married and, you know, There's no harm in the idea, if there was something which indicated, of course your custom which indicates that you're married, there's no harm in in that principle, but in the principle that when this, the wearing of the wing on this finger, this is done, it originally came out of Catholic tradition, where when the priest is putting the wing on the finger, you know, of the, the woman, you know, he says, he puts it by his thumb first and says, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. You see, so the wearing of the ring on this finger is symbolic of one's belief in the Trinity. So as such, it is Islamically not permissible for us to wear the ring on this finger. Here's what I'm saying we have to look into the practices. At the end of a marriage, people are leaving, they throw a light. You know, commonly in the West. Now, if you go back into the practice I can't remember the exact origin of it, but it has something to do with belief in evil spirits and the, the, the evil spirits this is a means of appeasing the evil spirits so it has something to do from some pagan practices the right the
1: down and get away
0: without
1: Okay, thank
0: you. Right. Okay, so what the brother is saying that the the origin of this practice was in, in Greek mythology. You know, whatever um, things went too well with people, right? The, the, the gods would mess up their lives a bit, right? I mean, they wouldn't like they don't like to see them having things go good all the time. So by people throwing the rice, the, the gods were fooled into thinking that the people were throwing the rice at the people, right? And as such, would let the the uh, couple go away and get away happily on their honeymoon, etc. Okay. So, so we see this practice, because of its, its pagan origin, it would not be suitable for Muslims to adopt it in any marriage ceremony. Right. so you were starting too yeah, That marriage, you know, our Imam of the Muslim has to have And during the wedding ceremony we have to insert also in the ring finger. Well, you know, unfortunately the amount that you had, they was ignorant of, of uh, you know, the Islamic requirements yeah, and uh you know, made you follow... Uh, and although I don't have the gold, my wine has the gold vein, I have the silver vein, but after the marriage, I'm not, I don't choose it, both of us don't choose
1: it. But during the ceremony, it
0: was uh, part of the ceremony. That's unfortunate, you know, so this is what has happened, where, in, uh, under the influence of these practices in the society around, Muslims, you know, having gone far away from the Quran and Sunnah, have now, you know, absorbed and, and taken on these practices because of the fact that it is popular in the society. Any other? Huh? Right, right. He had, he had also uh, pointed out, uh, the imam, sorry, thank you, he had also pointed out that, you know, in many of the wedding parties which take place, you know, becomes a, like a free-for-all, you know, men and women are mingling. Of course, in the West it goes to the point where they start dancing with other people's wives and sisters and, you know, all this type of thing. Here it may not reach that stage, but, you know, there are mingling of people. You know, people are mingling freely. It's, in, in the Kavrish time, it's not to say that women may not be involved at all with the, the process of the Walima, because actually in the Prophet of time, you know, it's authentically reported that, you know, when he had the gathering, his wife would come and serve the guests. So it's not to say that, you know, it is like a total, absolute break. I mean, there is a certain, just like in the Masjid of the Prophet of الله عليه you know, the women were at the back. It's not to say they were in a place where they were totally hidden; nobody could see them, right? Which has become the practice commonly now, right? So I'm just saying that it's not necessary to go to that extreme, but at the same time, you don't go to the other extreme where it becomes a free-for-all, right? So if there are, you know, in the, with women, you know, present at the ceremony or something like this, they there would be, you know, off to one side, not mixing freely with the men and the women, you know, together, and people who are unrelated, which can lead to, it's one of the steps towards, you know, façade or corruption in society. This is why in general, I see, Islam doesn't promote mingling of the sexes in general. Pardon? Gold ornaments are permitted? Well, not it's not a question of the time of prayer. I mean, the Prophet you know, had forbidden gold, the wearing of gold and silk for men. Period. Mm-hmm. Completely. You know, wearing a gold ornaments is forbidden. It's not a time for prayer and you can wear it after you, you know, you take it off for prayer and then you put it back on afterwards. The people who do that is that mistaken concept that they hold, you know, in terms of, you know, Allah sees you when you're standing up to pray, but after you leave the master, that's okay, you can do your own thing. You know, that type of approach to the religion is uh, unfortunate, but, you know, it has become common amongst us. So this is why you find, for example, people when they come in to pray, they roll well up their pet leg. You know? Why? Because they know the pant leg is not supposed to be down below the ankle. Right? Islamic not is not supposed to be. So mm-hmm. when the time of prayer comes, they roll it up because, you know, you're standing now before Allah, you don't want Allah to, you know, see your pants below your ankle. But after you leave the masjid, you roll it back down, you know, because you're dealing in a society. Right? Uh, people who don't normally wear anything on their head, when they come to the masjid, you know, they'll put something on their head, you know, cover their head, because they're under the impression that when you pray, you must have something on your head. Matter of mm-hmm. fact, when I was in, you know, in, in, in India, months, uh, a few months or so ago, you know, they have in the masjid like a uh, uh, container full of cats. Right? You know, and people come and they grab a cap and put it on. I mean, I just went in and prayed, you know, as I know I'm afraid, you know, without a cap. And I was fine, you know, the first time it happened, I was in the middle of prayer. All of a sudden, I felt something, I almost broke my prayer. Somebody was putting a cap on my head. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that happened, I mean, <laughs> that happened like twice. After that, every time I went in the market I just took a cap. Just to avoid, you know, my, uh, you, know, you know, my prayer being ruined, you know, by somebody coming putting a cap on <laughs> You know, because it's a, but it's, it's a mistaken, you know, concept that that tends to, to develop amongst the, the people. Uh, one thing I experienced too when I was in Malaysia, I lived in East Malaysia for about three, four years in uh, in uh, Kota Kinabalu, and um, there, you know, I had never seen the whole time that I was there, I had never seen a woman in Islamic dress. Right? When I was studying in I was not a Muslim at that time, so I'd never gone to a masjid, so i, I mean, i going to talking about it in the society. When I went to study in Medina, you know, in Medina, of course, during Hajj time, all these different people come, right? And in the course of that, that period of Hajj, you know, I saw this group of people who looked to me like Malaysian people. And they had these white dresses on, you know, and all, this, you know all covered up wearing it. So I asked them, I them, I said, where are these people from? I said, from Malaysia never saw anybody yeah. just like that the whole time I was in Malaysia. Later on, you know, I was informed that what the women typically do, they will carry the clothes for the master in a bag. When they go to the master, they put on these clothes, which covers themselves, and when they come out, they take it back off, and they're going back out, you know, wearing dresses like that. It's the same, same kind of thing. Many yeah. money They carry this on their back. after the prayer, they have the usual but this is a mistaken idea. that, you know, when you're in the masjid, Allah sees you. When you're outside the masjid, you know, Allah no longer sees you. Actually, it's a kind of shukri. Actually, it's that. Yeah. So, um, uh, were there any other questions you know concerning the um, marriage? Things we don't speak, we don't I You know, we can't take pictures because we don't see light. Because photography doesn't. But when we say you know videos
1: are
0: now because you see the moving people. The no, I, a person who allows the video has to allow photography in general. Well, because the process is the same process, you know, I mean, the same thing with our movie. Right? Because it is moving images. There, when you break it down, it becomes individual images. So you can press the thing and stop the image. Right? So it's not, it's not, uh, you know, doesn't so, I mean, if you're not going to allow uh, pictures, you have to Disallow it in all its forms, right? In that sense, in terms of photography. But there is an aspect, you know, for those who allow, for example, photography taken by a camera. There is an extent where it does become painting, which is clearly forbidden. And that is when it is done in the studios, when the guy takes the airbrush and rubs out your wrinkles and the bumps on your face, you know, and the lines on your forehead and all these different things. Then it becomes painting, because that picture comes out is not you anymore, right? He has now modified it and moved out the line, so now you look very nice and attractive (laughs) and so on, you know. This is why if you're getting yourself photographed in these places, you should tell them, don't use the airbrush. How I come out is how I come out. Give it to me as is. You know? So you don't get involved in that area where it becomes an aspect of painting.
1: Which is without a doubt haram. Hmm? Pardon?
0: Photography. So we discussed this earlier. We just said that you know there are two positions with with, with relationship. In some hold it is forbidden, just as any other form of picture making is forbidden, you know, by the hand, right? Whereas others hold that photography is not included in the in the area of carving and painting. It's not included. carving and painting, anything which has to do with the human hand, where the human being is actually making that effort to reproduce Allah's creation, and this is the one which is forbidden, right? Because this is the one which typically was the basis of idolatry in the past. You know, people worship images through idols and paintings. Right. Of course, once a photograph takes on the same perspective, where it is now placed in big blown-up forms in various areas and carried on placards or whatever, and put up. You know, where now. Is calling towards what they call ta'avim or you know, where you're elevating that individual, so people are now, you know, looking at that person in this special way, then it becomes forbidden. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, once it goes into that area, oh, in the area, as you mentioned, Maradona or, Madonna, or, or um, Madonna, the other one, the singer. You know, however, it comes right it becomes a question of setting it up for people to idolize then it becomes it steps into the area of the forbidden, without a doubt. Can
1: I the thing here? Painting. is
0: unanimous. Although there are a few who say it is if it is relief, it is only that which has a shadow. But from the evidence from the Sunnah, it things without shadow are also included. So that's a very weak position. But paintings is there are paintings and carvings, statues, mouldings you know, of human form or animal form. <coughs> you know, that is more or less you could say unanimously, you know, recognized piece of it.
1: Yeah, three dimensional. Yeah. yeah, and those which are not three.
0: Yeah, but this actually that position is very weak because there is enough evidence from the Sunnah where the Prophet ﷺ had things which are clearly not three dimensional torn up, and paintings which were inside of the the Kaaba were effaced. Yes. They were a faith. And uh, his, 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 uh, his wife, Um Salama, had asked, because when she had gone to, to Habasha, to Ethiopia, she had mentioned that they'd seen inside of the, the churches there paintings on the walls. And the Prophet said, Allah curses those who do this. So there's a variety of, and also Aisha had a curtain which had images in the fabric of the curtain, and he told her to tear it up. And so she tore it up and made some uh, pillowcases and so forth. No, it's, it's, no, no. well, if this thing is usable, for example, you may have a candle, you can buy candles which are in the shape of Buddha, right, if somebody gives you a candle in the shape of Buddha, and you need to use the candle, the candle is utilizable, it's, it's not doesn't say, you know, because it's in the shape of Buddha, you must not throw it in the garbage, no, what you do is you e- efface it, you know, you can take a pen because it's, it's mold, it's wax, uh, and scrape out the image and use the candle. You understand? That's a general principle. Somebody gives you a golden statue of Buddha, it's gold. It's got value to it. Islam doesn't say must not throw in the garbage. No, you melt it down and use the gold. And that's what they did when Muslims came into to India first and they found all these temples, there, they were busting them down and taking the stuff, melting it down and using it. <laughs> you know, they didn't throw it away and say, oh the idol of Buddha. No, no. Islam doesn't take that tradition. So wherever it is utilizable, it is you utilize. When thing is just totally unutilizable, it is misguided. That you don't, for example, set up museums, wherein now you start to collect the idol the idols of your past, you know, put them in the museums to glorify them. From a the Islamic perspective, is harmful. Because you're glorifying idolatry. You are promoting nationalism. So that principle I mean, it's one thing, for example, is to show, you know, to, to keep certain things apart from the past which don't involve images and so on, then there's another thing to, to, to take up all those old idols that the people use and put these up and spend money to build these buildings for how these things are looking after them and so on. Islamicate becomes, uh, you know, wastage of, of the wealth of the people.
1: <laughs> also,
0: the sections of the body may be drawn and so and so you know for mm-hmm. teaching purposes etc this would be excluded from the general you know prohibition
1: yeah. right? so you may use
0: they may you teach the children an anatomy mm-hmm. you know they use they have this figure uh, which can be taken apart and shown with various organs and so on and forth so. okay. i mean something of that nature inshallah would be you know excluded from the, the overall prohibition and of course, also, we know that for children, you know, dolls, you know, were permitted by the Prophet Muhammad. For children below age of puberty, it is permissible, permissible for them to have dolls which may have some nature. Just, a Just a second.
1: Second. No, I but I to second.
0: I hmm.
1: right? uh, don't know. I don't know. I assume that the guy was very, 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 the very, 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 He's very, the,
0: of 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 to the, of the world. Well, I will tell you, there are two positions concerning the photography. I mean, the position which allows photography, when it doesn't go beyond the just recording as it is for purposes of, like you said, for example, news or something like this, you know, or passport or identification purposes so, or so, this is allowable. You know, so there is mean, that is okay. For <clears throat> so those who prohibit it, you know, then they prohibit it. You know, because they would argue that uh, in the past when we didn't have photographs about the news, we read stories about it. Do we have to have a photograph of it? Yeah, it's cute, but, you know, you know yeah. I don't know, it's like the Chinese said, what a, you know, a, one picture is worth a thousand words, or something like this.
1: You didn't get that. You didn't get that. It's, it so, so it's a, a, the manner of using it. It doesn't apply to this, it's a big lighter, for example. If you use a big lighter to light, you're inspired to cook it. You use it to hold it into <laughs> your hand to burn your hand. Or light a cigarette. Or
0: light a cigarette. Although, you know, it's just that that may work in some areas, but there are other areas which are clearly haram, right? Yeah. Which is the area of, like, you what know, you said, like, solving idols. I mean, there's no circumstance which, you know, you can justify the use of the, the idol on You human beings? <laughs> human animals. Yeah. Other than that, to think here, I mean, models of. of Plants, flowers, this type of thing is allowed. Okay, no questions for I mean. okay, Um. Uh, th- last week <coughs> we looked at um, uh, the occult, you know, and as related to um, magic, uh, astrology, and fortune telling. Now, uh, this week we just want to. Close off the series in tajweed. I don't know if we have enough time to do everything, but uh, we're looking at the concept of saint worship or world worship, you know, from an Islamic perspective. And primarily, the principle, you know, of in, involved in saint worship is it's based on a certain aspect of you know human weakness. In that, as I mentioned before, you know, Allah has made people on different levels. He has favored some people over others. Even the prophets, he favored some of them over others. And man, he favored over women. So, throughout human society, we find people on various levels. And there is a tendency for man to look to others, to those above him, and to elevate that person to a, a level where, they will take on their own responsibility. You know, like they say people, you know, tend to be like sheep, right? This is a tendency amongst people. They, you know, that if a person comes along, it's very easy to gather a following, and you know, people will follow them because this person now thinks for those people. The people, you know, give that person such respect that they depend on that person for the interpretation of life, where right this life. So this tendency or have led in other societies to the elevation of people to a to a status which is godlike. Wherein these people will become intermediaries between themselves and God or they may become God. In uh, Christianity you have the system of saints, they call the saints, these are people who, you know, who are either quite pious or righteous type of individuals or who have Certainly what appear to them to be miracles certain so supernatural uh, occurrences happen in, you know around them which so people attributed to them as being miracles and so they elevate them to the status of you know, saint uh, these people then become intermediaries or it may be some incident you know they have some, some mythological uh, stories about some early people like that of uh, Christopher Saint. Christopher you know, who you know is usually portrayed as carrying the uh, the Christ child on his shoulder, you know, they have a kind of a story which they built up around, you know, this person they call Francisco, who in recent, more recent times, about 10 years ago, or 15 years ago, it, the uh, Catholic Church, you know, finally crossed him off to list a saint. But for hundreds of years prior to that, I mean, he was a saint, the saint of the travelers. People were traveling would carry his image in their car, or they would, you know, pray to him to ask him for his protection during their journeys. But as I said, you know, some 10, 15 years ago, the, the church finally, uh, indicated that this individual was mythological, he wasn't a real individual, and he was crossed off into the saints. You have a variety of other saints within the uh, Catholic system, you know, as I said, who are individuals, people I things which are lost and so on, so they pray to St. Jude I think it is. They have a variety of other saints like this. Then, they also have Jesus who is, you know, given now the qualities of God, he's elevated now, he's started from God, and people pray to him and expect salvation is up in, in place of. God. Oh, they make him God. Similarly, amongst the Hindus, you know, they have gurus. You know, the guru is like the, the spiritual master, you know, who others depend on. He guides them in life and such and such. You know, who is teaching. But then you have what they call the avatar. Among the gurus there are some who become God incarnate. The avatar is God incarnate. So they have certain triggers and individuals who they consider to be God incarnate. This is just a natural process issue. don't people start to elevate people beyond their status. This happens. This is why Prophet clearly said, you know, do not praise me the way that the Christians praise Isa ibn Maryam. I am merely, you know, Abdullah, a slave of Allah, Rasooli and his message. This is how he asked to be referred to. He didn't want people to elevate him. And he also said another, you know, um, other statements where he said, you know, don't make, don't make my, my grave a place of gathering, regular gathering the early gathering, you
1: know,
0: because this obviously is turning in, 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 into an idol of worship. So, <clears throat> given this principle, they said that people are on different levels, the essence of that, from the material point of view we said, was really a lot of text This is how the text is manifest in our lives, that allows different people of stability you know, over others. From a spiritual point of view, People are on different levels also. And Allah has said clearly in the Quran, "Inna أَقْرَمَكُمْ إِلَّ اللَّهِ أَتْخَاكُمْ the most noble amongst you, the ones who are really at the highest level, to Allah, are those who are the most highest, most bacteria, who remember Allah the most, the conscious of Allah. But the reality is that this level, is only known to Allah. We as individuals cannot elevate an individual to say, well he is a, we've got a category called saint, he is so pious, that I mean, let me take him out of the realm of the average human being, and can attain to that. He becomes a medium, an intermediary that people pray to, who ask to pray to Allah. We are not in a position to do that. From the point of view of using an intermediary, well, this is forbidden. From an Islamic perspective. We talked about that in earlier sessions. It is the shirk and tawheed and ibadah. But also from the point of view of knowing what is in somebody's heart. When Allah is what he said, There are most men some people who are judging the you with their speech. And he will swear by Allah what is in his heart. And he is one of the most deadly enemies. What is he telling? He's telling you that you, you judge from the outside. This person will be appearing, he's got a big beard down to his knees and you know he's praying 24 hours a day and he, you see this man, this man is, you know Allah has delegated this man. But inside his heart what is going on, you have no idea. You have no idea. All of that what he's doing there could be modified by him doing it to gain your praise. Riyadh to be seen by Allah, as Allah says. So why you musallim? First are those who pray. Allatheena Those who are negative in the salah, but also those who. Allatheena yura'oon. Those who pray to be seen by others. So that person on the outside of the world, you're saying, you know, man, look at this person, you elevate him and you give him your gifts and you come to him and ask for his guidance and all these different things. And he is just, you know, swimming with all this stuff. The power that he has over you and your life. You think he's so holy, well, this stuff is Because of his intent. You don't know. So you, you are not able to elevate anybody. Like that. The Prophet Muhammad, he elevated some of his companions. He said, so and so, the way to gave the bayah, redwan, when they were going into Mecca, these people, none of these people are going to hell. they go to hell. Prophet why? Because he looked into their hearts and, and he was able to judge their iman to say, well, look, okay, these are all going to be No. Because Allah informed him to Jibreel. Also, you know, he had mentioned certain, you know, uh, but this is said, also this is confirmation of what Allah already said in the Quran, you know, concerning that Allah is pleased with those who have given the oath of allegiance under the tree. Allah has already confirmed. Are uh, you pleased with that? If Allah is pleased with them, if Allah is pleased with me, that's your guarantee for paradise. So the Prophet had referred and said about certain, certain individuals that they were not sparrows. There's one occasion uh, where the companions were sitting there, and one of the companions asked Prophet, he said, Ask Allah to, uh, you know so to make me you know of the people of sparrows. So Prophet prayed, Ask Allah to make me of the people of He said, You know, he would be of the people of sparrows. Then another person said, Oh, he's watching this. He said, You know, so I'm sorry. Did you do so he talked with a lot of lunch, right? But he gave a declaration for that individual, the first one who asked, that he would be among the people find
1: right?
0: So i saying the Prophet Muhammad he, has, he was in a position to do that because he was receiving revelation from Allah. And he talked about, he said that, you know, Bilal, he woke up in the morning and, and he, he spoke to Bilal, he asked him, he said, you know, I, I heard your footsteps ahead of me in find in the dream. And the dreams and the prophets were three people. So whatever they do, is the form of revelation to them. So he asked him, what do you do?" He didn't know what he did that, you know, would take him directly to paradise and that. So Bilal said, you know, I'm not really doing anything special except that, you know, whenever I make wudu I make two of them. And the pastor informed him that was done. The fact that every time he made wudu, he used to make two units of prayer right after. So this pattern and this is, you know, Surat we do. so this is highly recommended. Said, this is not just looking into the and judging him and saying, oh, okay, you're up on that level, you're making a the paradise. No, he did not have that ability. So, beyond those whom the Prophet Muhammad has indicated, based on revelation from Allah, we do not have the right to elevate anybody else. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah. Also there was, you know, at the time after one of the battles, you know, the, the people were mentioning different people who got killed in the battle to the Prophet, alhamdulillah and saying, you know, so-and-so is a martyr. In other words, you have the able to of do And so-and-so is a martyr. And alhamdulillah did not uh, disagree with them. That meant that whatever they were saying, is accepted as true, yes, yeah, especially that is martyr. They came along with the phone and said, martyr, they did not. I saw him in the altar because of the cloak that he stole from the soil. And he was fighting not for our pleasure, but for the booty. And evidence of it was well, that he stole, when he got a chance nobody was looking, he stole one of his clothes So this is, I mean, so this is only known because of the fact that this was important to, to Prophet ﷺ to do So, this is the Islamic position that we hold. That so we do not elevate any individuals in that fashion. We may pray for them, ask Allah to accept their worship, the sacrifices, but we are not in a position to elevate them in this kind of level. So what has happened is that based on a principle, a mistaken principle, Muslims have incorporated the idea of this elevation. Based on a misinterpretation of one of the verses from the Quran, in which Allah said that He created Adam and He blew in Adam from His spirit. People, and this is translated, people have read that and concluded from it that Allah blew a piece of His spirit into Adam. And that each and every one of us human beings, carries within his body a portion of the Spirit of God. And from that, they concluded, you know, based on Greek thought, you know, from the time of Plato, Plato and others of his time had proposed the idea that human beings were, or had in them, a divine soul. And that the soul would strive, and the, 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 the individual should try to elevate himself to a series of, of uh, practices, would elevate himself to a position where that soul would reunite with the world soul. This idea was absorbed based on this verse. So it was concluded that the striving of the individual, what human striving should be, is to reunite. That divine portion which is within each and every one of us with the divine. This is also part of Hindu philosophy. The state of Nirvana, you know, where the Hindu believes that the individual is reborn and reborn. Each time he dies, he's reborn again. Uh, if he was a good person, this life is reborn in a, in, a, in a better station. And each time he's reborn, he keeps getting better and better and better and eventually he reaches a stage where he becomes of the, the Brahman caste. Where when he dies now, he reunites with Brahman, the world's soul. And if you are bad, you get you know, reborn in lower and lower forms, you know, and worse and worse situations. I mean, this is why uh, this, the, the idea, what they call the principle of karma, you know, where everybody has to work out their own good uh, and evil. And, and it's actually what it does, it promotes you not to be involved in other people's lives. You know, whatever e- ills happens to you is a result of what you did in a former life. Right? So it's your responsibility. But in any case, the idea is that this person eventually can reach the to. The good deeds he does to reunite with the world soul. So this concept is available in various other religions. So as I said this entered into the Islamic body, supported by this verse, and a system of spiritual exercises was developed, where the individual could, you know, free himself from the material bounds and eventually become reunited with the world soul, with God, with Allah, and Based on that you have certain individuals like Al-Hallaj who claimed at one point in time, he said, you know, an al that I, I'm God. And the Muslims of the time, you know, thought sort of they were upset, you know, what are you saying? The Prophet took him and, you know, sat him down and said, listen, you have got to take this stuff back. We can't say it. And he, when he was, you know, tried, he stood up in the midst of his trial and opened up his throat and said, there's nothing inside this cloak but Allah. And he would refuse to repent, and so he was executed you have another individual living in the Arabi, you know, of North Africa, who also you wrote know, a number of books, including Tarsir, the Quran, and so on, in which he promoted the idea of what they call Waqdat al-Wujud, wherein, you know, Allah is present in everything, everything really is Allah and Allah is everything. So ultimately he had in his poetry, he was promoting that you shouldn't worship it, it's really, you know, idolatrous for you to worship anything outside of yourself. And he justified uh, Adam, um, uh, Iblis was refusing to bow to, to Adam. He say that I really, Iblis at that time when he refused to bow, he was confirming he to worship. He was refusing to bow down to other than God, who was himself. And when Pharaoh said, I am your Lord, most high, Pharaoh was speaking the truth, Moses was ignorant. This is part of the, his interpretation. I mean, totally turning around with the religious concept, you know, and in fact, calling to idolatry. So, you find in these circles, elliptic circles, which became known as Sufism, this is a, a, an essential concept. This is a thread which links all of the various you know, branches of Sufism together. You know, if you, of course, Sufism, like Christianity, it has a variety of different forms. So if you want to describe what Christianity is, it's very difficult unless you just stick with the basic principles of the idea of Jesus being God. I mean, that much is what links them all. You know, God the Father and God the Son. God the Holy Ghost you have some, I don't agree. But the idea of God being man, that is good, Go on. Dying on the cross, that's there. So man's sin, committed by, being, beginning with Adam, which everybody inherited, that much is like destroyed which holds Christianity together. Similarly, the thread which holds what is known as Jesus together, is this basic concept of the divine soul within the individual, reuniting with the soul of God. I must there's still some, a few uh, branches of Jesus, sure especially in the early times, where people have been referred to as Sufis, because of their piety etc., who never held these views, that they have been given the title of Sufis. So what I'm I'm talking about, those who really held this belief, represented the majority, This became the majority. And when you look today in terms of Sufism, which is available, you know, in various parts of the world, when you go in there and you go into the essence of the teachings, this is what you're going to find in the Bible. This is what you're going to find there. The purpose of the various exercises and everything. This is the essential striving. in fact, this interpretation of the verse is not correct. Allah has already pointed out in the Quran to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that when they ask you about the Spirit, you tell them the Spirit is from Allah's command. Allah commands be and they take it. The Spirit is created. It is incorrect to refer it to Allah's Spirit. Allah, there is certain references. His Spirit in the sense that can stop having a Spirit. Allah will use this possessive phrase in relationship to its creation to indicate certain aspects of the creation which are ennobled, which are on a higher level than other aspects. Like Allah refers to his camel, لَقَتُ So we say what? Did Allah got a camel that he rides Of course not. This is a camel which was sent to a people as a test to them, a natural test to them. Allah refers to this his camel, it us from the other camels because this one had a special role. Similarly, when we refer to بَيْتُ Law you know the houses of Allah, it is referred to the houses of worship. All the houses are from the result of Allah's creation. But the houses of worship are ennobled, they're raised up above the other houses and they refer to in a possessive form in terms of Allah. So Allah may refer to some things of, of belonging to him, which are from the created things, these things, this is a means of ennobleness. Allah may also refer to other things which are as his own, uh, you could call, uh, his own attributes, which are specifically his we have to separate the things which Allah refers to as His in the Quran or in the Summa to two basic categories. Those things which are His attributes, which are uncreated, when He refers to them as His, right, Allah's mercy, these things these are His. We are not looking at something created that He is a noble, His. Allah's faith, His. But the there are things, Allah's camel, Allah's spirit, Allah's house, these things are the things which are created. And we know that the Prophet has said that in the first month, in the development of the embryo, the angel comes and bores the spirit into the embryo. So the Prophet Solomon has now clarified the process of blowing of the spirit into heaven. As Allah said elsewhere in the Quran, in reference to the incident in the beginning of the Battle of Babylon, when the enemy was lined up on the other side and listened to on one side, the Prophet before the beginning of the battle took up some sand and threw it. And those people of the enemy who later became Muslims reported that you know, they found the dust of their eyes. They didn't know what came them. Allah had caused that dust of the Prophet too, to reach the eyes of the enemy. And so in the Quran he said, You didn't show it to the Prophet when you threw, but Allah threw. So, Allah refers to the story of the Prophet Allah, as he. Similarly, the blowing of the angel of the spirit into the human, Allah refers to as his blowing. So, this is how that Prophet's of blowing is understood, that Allah has caused the spirit to enter. Not that Allah literally blew a part of his spirit. And also, we see, many other Muslim clients where Allah refers to Jibreel uh, uh, as his spirit is referred to as his spirit. You need a number of verses where Jibreel came to Maryam, for example, you know, uh, he is referred to as his spirit. So, this idea of the spirit, again in Allah referred to as the, law, the spirit, so, this is, in fact, enablement of the human spirit and of Gabriel, etc. That we do not consider in Islam that Allah is his spirit or has mm-hmm. spirit. Okay? So the foundation for that, you know, argument of each one of us sitting within a, a divine, in a portion of Allah, this has really no foundation from Islamic perspective. And as such, to elevate people, you know, based on the fact that their divine spirit some purpose or large become one of the longer, so now this person is on another level so we should take this place. This is forbidden from Islam. So there are no
1: things
0: in Islam. Saints in the sense that people use these people as intermediaries. They are on spiritual levels far beyond that that the average human being can attain. So well, there are pious people, righteous people, no doubt, but that is attainable by individual striving. And that person who loves Allah and fulfills so the requirements of Tashi, Allah refers to such a person as his Wali. This is a term in Arabic which is typically translated as meaning, say, Wali. You know, Allah speaks in the Quran as awliya of Allah. But this term, you know, Allah speaks in the Quran, you know, barely, you know, these friends, these close friends of Allah, because Wali actually means that's close friends are those who no fear overcomes them, right? Nor do they you know, grieve about the things that they have lost in this life. You know, they their trust in Allah, the trust of those things will be under, They don't you know they're not grieved by it. And they are those who remember Allah. So he explains in the Quran that this is this is a general category which can be achieved by any of the righteous. Any of the righteous anybody who's righteous in the sense of depending on Allah, believing in Allah firmly and believing in his oneness, practically in his life. Then he becomes a wali Okay? Okay, inshallah, it's um, supposed to be so we'll have to stop now. And in the next session we'll complete with when we look at the area of worship, the idea of worshiping at graves and worshiping the people in graves. We'll look at that, inshallah, in the next session, before going on too. Uh, stop here, inshallah. Uh, so are there any questions concerning the subject of the
1: census? <laughs> That's <not a> <laughs> this is
0: a powerful dream. A powerful dream is a certain advocate a Right? He was given control over the gym. This is the miracle that was given only to the, he was, the he was given control over the gym. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: it is a to start you. read the book and it leads some among you to When we it. When the system, like, uh, the book and say that the is in college, it the to in the house the Because some people, in the, um, the book arrives, for example, when in Manila, some nerds
1: are talking, and some kids are talking about it
0: with Allah being Allah. Not things which if done would make him not Allah. less than Allah. You understand? It's things which are within the context of Allah's qualities. Because if you use this line of reasoning, you can come back to him and say, okay, you want to say this then, what do you think? You think Allah could make a stone which is too heavy for him to lift? a stone which is too heavy for him to lift. So Allah can do all things. So technically speaking you should have said, yes, you can make a stone which is too heavy for him to lift. But if it's too heavy for him to lift, can we say about it anymore? If there is a stone that Allah made which is too heavy for him to lift, that means there is something greater than Allah. It means that Allah has learned Himself from His status of being the greatest. So therefore, that concept is removed can Allah make himself into a mosquito and you can... No, no. this is ridiculous. These kind of ideas are rejected because they involve making Allah less than Allah. Similarly to Allah becoming a part of his creation, that is knowing himself in the practice of being, because having a son. This is what man has. This is the needs of man. No. So, so the basic concept is that Allah is not a part of His creation. He is able to do all things with all things which are consistent with His attributes. And as such, when we teach our children, we should teach them in this fashion, that they understand that Allah is not a part of his creation, but that He
1: still knows
0: He is able to do all things within His creation. This is the I say, basic examiner concept, it is very important for us to because if a person wants yes, you, you will never be able, you will never find someone who is able to catch that person and put them into the ship from the ship. they will not be able to follow the ship. They will never accept the idea that we that, or that God manifests himself in limitation. We have this individual, for example, with America, his name is Jim Jordan who is a Christian Christian so in nineteen seventy-nine, 900 of his followers down to South America, and they all committed suicide. When you listen to their belief, they believe their person was father. They believe that he was God. He taught them that God is in every one of you. God is in, you know, your heart, my heart, and that, that God was more than you than the rest of you. This is what when we say Allah is in everybody, God is in everybody, then it just takes somebody to come out and say, Look, here, yeah. it's God's nobody, but he's more than me, than the rest left you. So, if more than me, then what does he call it to? Worship of himself. Now, if if you don't don't have that concept of Allah being within creation at all, no one can ever catch you in past. If you have the correct Islamic belief in relationship to this quality, this attribute of Allah, then you cannot be drawn into shirk in the grave. And when you explain, you know, to others, non muslims this is a very important concept that you have to develop for them. Because I said, the vast majority of them hold the belief that Allah is a part of the creation, you or know, uh, the creation of Allah are one of different categories. One way or another different categories. It's very important, when you're giving them the concept of Allah and the oneness of Allah, that they be clear on this idea. Because the Christians say Allah is one, but that Jesus is the one. They're tripping the one, making one, in, in, on one instance, but at the same time they're saying he was part of the situation. That Prophet is was one So, inshallah, I hope this uh, concept is clear. Cool. You know, I'll just stop at this point now. If there are there any questions concerning this concept of, you know, Allah's transcendence, you know, about situation? Or comments, questions or comments? Yes, one question. I have to mention the uh, university,
1: and so it's is very, I do sit on it half of and the one who is
0: them. You know, this is in Surah and You well, I you know, do you feel safe? The one who is above the heavens, you know, will not cause the earth to open up and swallow you. Or that he will cause the wind mm-hmm. to come and destroy you, you. know, there are a number of those things. But well, I mentioned in general, in these are clear examples, then there are many others. When you if you have to add up the number of verses which which make this reference, because the reference is sometimes uh, direct, sometimes it's indirect. For example, he has the name Al Ali, one of Allah's name. Mm-hmm. One of the they call is Asma mm-hmm. al-Qhana, Al Ali. This name means the highest. the one above whom there is nothing. This is what he's doing, you can find it within the names, you can find it within, yeah. it within for example, because says, Allahu Sumat, this is the one who says, Allah-u-Tumat, Allahu when the scholars say, what is the meaning of Sumat? They give it and have it the head, allah the one to which all things rise. So it is there, indirectly, directly, openly stated, you know, implied. If you have out of all those information, I mean you find that it is a large portion of the word description of the Why? Because the fact that uh, the, the, the common error amongst uh, people who are off the path is that they believe that Allah is within this creation This is the report of the Qur'an to What's the the you know the, are or this term of esteem. He says, in, 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 from an Islamic point perspective, you understand it as being above his own well, harsh <coughs> throne. You know, not not sitting on the throne from the throne. You know, this is human quality. The you know, words you say, sitting on the throne. Then you know, when a person sits on the throne, if you pull the throne away. What happens? Right? It's You're right. implying right? No. This is, so this is not the this is not how understood. As a matter of fact you know, when um, Imam Malik was asked about this, you know, idea idea of Istiwa, you know, he he referred to the the individual, said to him that, you know, that this concept of, you know, being above a thing, you know, is known in the language, and what it actually means in relationship to Allah is beyond our capability to understand, and really to seek now if we're looking deeper we're trying to get to the point to find exactly how Allah was above the throne okay. we 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 are sure that it is not with the biological
1: apparatus. <coughs> but what we do not say, you
0: see when Allah says He has hands, He has a face, we do not say Allah does not hands and does not feet. But we say that whatever Allah means by that, it is not as meaning, Because He has said He showed that there is nothing like Him. So it is not like our face, it is not like our hands, but we don't have the right to say well he we doesn't have hands, because you see he makes us have hands and we don't think. So we know yeah. even in our language when we talking about the hands of the clock, the hands of the clock are pointing to, does it mean hands like our hands? Even in yeah. our language, hands don't necessarily mean like we, and so the same way we can accept that, you know, the face of the, the building. Mm-hmm. meaning the third part, right? hey, we don't think of it as having eyes <laughs> nice and nose and mouth and so So, the same way we can accept that within our own language, we understand within, in, within worship to Allah, that is beyond our comprehension. <coughs> Allah has used certain terms you know, for us to, to help us understand to some degree aspects of Allah, but they are limited by, of course, our ability to conceive of that which is without limits. You know, our minds are finite and limited in its understanding, I and mean, it's not possible for us to understand, to grasp the infinite, that which is without, without limits, which is a lot. In a debate, uh, Dr. Anisharas
1: mentioned, he uh, to prove that uh, three for three is one, one,
0: one three, he water, you then get three thoughts water and water and ice and water, oh, but all trees, each is one. So he is
1: arguing in the debate the leaders. So this, uh, he tries to prove three,
0: one-one is three. Uh, what is your and How can we break? Them? So you see, all of those sort of examples that are given, right, they don't, when you really relate it back to what Christians say about Allah, about God, They they are not Consistent. Okay, if it's true, water can turn into vapor, you know, or it can turn into ice. You know, you have three different forms in which water can, or uh, 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 in which water's term as H2O can appear. But the point is that, you know, water, when it is ice, is no longer water and vapor at the same time. It has changed into one. Whereas when they're saying that Jesus, you know, that, that God the Son, they say God the Son is the Father and is the Holy Ghost. All three are present in all aspects. You know, they're not saying that God became the Son, or when God became the Son, there was no Father anymore and no Holy Ghost. And then when he became the Holy Ghost, there was no Son and no Father. No, they're saying when there was the Son, the Father existed. The sun was the father, and the, the sun was the holy Ghost, And when he was the holy Ghost, he was also the sun, and he was also a father. This is totally different. And when you take a glass of water, and you freeze it, there, it's no longer water. So you see, what happens is that they're using an argument which is not consistent, you know, the logic is not uh, complete, it's not a complete comparison. It's partial. It's only partial. And all those examples that they try to give you, just like the example they couple about the sun, when so the sun is light the light, its heat, you know, and its it's physical body there, right? Because there are three aspects of the sun. But no, I mean, the heat which comes off from the sun is not the sun. Once the heat is left, the heat is no longer with the sun. So, you know, it it is all of these examples that they give will always point to three different existences. And actually, when you take them back to their own writings, they are in fact talking about three different existences. Because at the time when, uh, this is in the Bible, I mean, New Testament, we don't believe it. But supposedly, when Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist, right, there was the Son being baptized. At the same time, a voice came out of the heaven. God is talking to Jesus. And the Holy Ghost appeared as a dove between. So all three were existing. There was Jesus, there was a dove, and there was God speaking from the heavens. So there are three different existences. This is really, really what you really want to
1: do,
0: so you can take them back to you. Okay, that's like your water, you know, um, ice and steel. sea uh, so That's what you really believe in, if you want, not what God. Yeah.
1: Well, okay, Allah,
0: Well, okay, you know, this, is, this is a common argument which is used by the Ahmadi um, the Ahmadi these people who Claimed there was an individual who appeared in India by the name of Bilam Ahmed, who claimed that he was a prophet. You know, and he developed a, a, quite a large following. You know, in, in, the, in the, they they split into two groups: the Ahmedis and the Qadianis. And um, the Qadianis are those who maintain that that Dulaim was a prophet, and the Ahmedis say, "Oh well, no, he was a reformer. They modified him." Right? But in fact, they are one, and they've been. Rejected, they're not allowed to make Hajj, no Umrah. they you know, Muslims are not allowed to marry them. They're not allowed to be buried amongst Muslims and The point is that their argument was: they went back to Surah Al-Alam um, al and we raised for you your, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your mention, actually, literally, your mention. I mean, that the mention of you was raised. So the are here, because if I, you know, raise your esteem or raise your your um, knowledge of you amongst the people, you're not talking about something physical, right? And they say, well, they're saying, well, here was and they go back to the other, the same verb, and They go back to this, this surah where Allah says they didn't kill, him, but but you know, just make appear that way to them and but Allah to him up. Right? Rafa'u Allah remain. So, they say this, is what, this is what Allah is referring to. Why? Because in their mythology, they claim that you know Jesus escaped from the cross and He went to Kashmir, teaching all the way to Kashmir, and they have a grave there which they claimed as the grave of Jesus. Right? So, this, to support that claim, this is the interpretation they've been given. But in fact actually, the bird, you know Rafa, as you'll find a number of other words in Arabic, a verb may use a, a preposition so that the action of the verb may carry over to an object, you know, it, it works to a preposition, or it may take a direct object, and that's what happens in these two cases, in one, you know, la There is a preposition here, whereas in the other case, it's taking a direct object, attached directly to the verb. In one case, when it's using a proposition, it implies symbolic raising, uh, as in raising a one's scheme. In the other case, where it takes a direct object attaching itself, to verb, possibly to attach itself to the verb, it, it refers to the physical raising. See, as in in Arabic, you know, when the, when the term is used in that way, when it's used with a direct object, nobody understands what it means in symbolic way. So when it's used with a proposition, it's understood in the symbolic fashion.
1: Okay.
0: Yes. I mean, there are many actually, I mean, that's just a linguistic argument. When you go to the Sunday sniff, explain many simply in which you uh not but, uh, traditions which explain the like fact that the Prophet Esau was raised up, you know, and he's sort of like a mistake that's suspended animation. He will come back down to one of the signs of the last day and he will live out his life on earth down there.